You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. I'm, uh, I'm still adding up all the donations, guys. <laughs> yeah, they raised they raised five grand since our episode, so we're not sure exactly how much is from our listeners, but I think we got the message out there, and and things are looking good for that uh, family in the Twin Cities. That's awesome. so. Does that mean Andy? Does that mean Andy's got to pay twenty grand? Did he say he'd quadruple anything they brought in from that day forward? I'm pretty sure I said in uh, pretzel sticks, but that is pretzel stick for pretzel stick. No, we uh no that you know why don't you Nick just give us a little bit of a a reminder of what's going on and what we did and where we're at and yeah so that back pocket uh, productions is their second annual magical uh, Christmas and last year they gave I think like ten grand to a family to help with rent and whatnot and and this year they wanted to do it big and they wanted to get this family of like six living in a hotel one bedroom room. They wanted to give them a down payment for a home and then help them with uh, try to do financing and, and make a deal to get them in a, in a home. I guess there was some medical issues and some problems in the past. So this family is uh, is hurting and, and they want to make a difference. And, and they're in the Twin Cities. Yeah. And they uh, so so last week we were asking for donations. All of you that donated. Thank you very much. We've had a, uh, a very generous, um, you know, Hopefully we had something to do with that. It'd be embarrassing if we didn't. Um, but yeah. And then so Chris and I ended up capping it off too. But congratulations, guys. Good uh, good uh, run. And uh, goes to show the power of social media, man. It's uh, it's crazy. People that like and can relate to things and, and donate. And Yeah. Didn't, cool. didn't, didn't it also have, if they got to a certain amount, someone else was going to match that? Yeah, 10 grand. If they got the 10 grand, another guy was going to match 10 grand. They would have got the 20 then they wanted. So that's no, awesome. I believe they're there. I believe they're there, yeah. Okay, well, good. So everything else is a bonus. Maybe some Christmas presents as well. See, see. Well, hey, we got uh, a little theme today. The Boston Tea Party. It happened on this day in uh, 1776, maybe? I'm not positive on the, on the exact year, but it was about rebelling against uh, Great Britain and the king. They threw the tea into the to the water and we're kind of going to play off the theme you know this is our our ancestors and our pride our american pride well hey. and chris was actually there and uh tell us chris what was it like to be there live well when i was there i didn't think it was in the winter so i think i was there in the summer and i might have been in a previous life you that's a very good point andy maybe that's why my that's why we have this theme just saying and it, and also, I just want to play off the theme, you know, freedom, going to where you're you're treated best. This is my new apartment in uh, Floripa. Uh, guess how much a night? Just take a wild guess. It's a full um, one bedroom. We got the kitchen, got the bathroom, got this beautiful view. What do you think I pay a night? There's a bathroom actually in the room. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, Fifty. Chris. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I was just in um, where the heck was I? Where were we? Playa del Carmen, and I paid uh, over two grand in one week for uh, a view like that. So I'm gonna say, yeah. I know it's less money there. I'm gonna say a hundred. Okay, well, Chris, you paid two grand because you went through Airbnb in high season, and and you do want to negotiate like me. You just wanted. Uh, you said I'll pay it. I'll just go there, you know. And in Playa del Carmen, I paid for like five hundred bucks for a beautiful place. But anyways. It is high season right now. There's no places available. So I paid top dollar for this, right? $20 a night. <laughs> hey, that means you can donate a lot of money to that back pocket. Yeah, it might help, help out the fun. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we move their family here instead? We'll get them a, a nice place. Yeah. Think, think of that. Think of that. That's 600, what, 600 bucks a month with that 20 grand. We could keep them there for almost three years. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, that is crazy. I said normally I could get this place for three hundred a month, easy. Well, yeah. I know I know you have your your sunglasses on to try to taunt us. I think Andy should put on his earmuffs. Do you have a pair, Andy? What? Hey, let's start this bad boy off though. Look what I found. This is gonna shock the market right here. What's happening in the market? The Fed said they're going to raise the interest rates. They're coming, 2022. Three. Wow, I didn't think they would. Uh, I mean, they're. It's a it's an interesting time in which to throw it out there. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. Right before Christmas, and everyone's thinking about inflation and everything like that. But I'll tell you what, we just did a um, a listing put on the market, and we've got. Uh, three showings. I mean, and this is over a million dollars and three showings set up for the first day already. So I, I don't know. I, this, this market with low inventory and, um, as long as the rates don't go absolutely crazy and what interest rates hikes, what interest rate hikes are, uh, you know, that might be, you know, three to three and an eighth kind of thing versus three to 5% type stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the, you know, to use common sense. I mean, if you were the one with all the money and you were lending it out, would you lend it out at the rates that they're being lent? I don't think so. I wouldn't. You know, so it's got to it's got to come from either a very desperate source that makes no money and wants you know a partial risk, or they're going to have to come up with a way that you know um, that, that's balanced. And I think that you know most people that if it's a safe investment, the market's stable. You know, a five six percent return is normal. And what the sad thing is, is that a lot of my buyers nowadays, their second house, the first house they bought was at 4%. Now they're buying at 3%. And they think rates are just outrageous if they hit 4%. And I think that you'll see a mental curveball that uh, hits our marketplace too, where it might take some of our buyers a little while to realize, boy, I can move or not move because they were they don't they don't realize that they were, you know, in the uh, sweepstakes winning of interest rates for the last, you know, what eight years? So that's a good point. That's a really good point. But market's still market's still going though. It's crazy. We have another uh, house that we put on last week, and we've had um, fifty showings on it. Fifty. Wow. Yeah. I got one that I'm putting on next week here, and and I know the week of the week of the week of Christmas, um, and they're, they're all excited ready to go. And, and I have zero hesitation doing it. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about that. You know, people listing right now, why the heck would they even do it? And, and I'll tell you what. We laid out a, a roadmap. Um, we started with where they want to end up and then how much does that cost and what does the financing does, you know, the average seller right now, except with, with, um, you know, contingencies. And then we realized the math was on the wall. Let's get that house out of the way so that we can become an effective buyer because it's almost crippling if you're not. You know, if you're if you're literally going to the marketplace right now and you don't have um, a way to uh, make yourself look better than the average buyer, it's it's a very you know taxing long process. But it was and, ab absolutely craziness to be able to ever list your house between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And even crazier to do it the week of Christmas. Yeah. Like what What's changed? What I mean, because I'm, I'm we're doing the same thing because we're seeing that the market is still going, and a lot of people, while a lot of people are taking stuff off, there's nothing out there for people that are really, really looking. And I, my also thing is, is that how about a it's a Christmas present? You know, it's it's a different mentality thinking um, for a potential buyer. At that time, that all of a sudden, you know, you add that on that, oh, my gosh, wouldn't this be a great Christmas? This is what we could remember kind of a thing as well. So I don't know. I, I think it's uh, I think it's worth it to obviously, Andy, I mean, independently, you obviously think the same thing. Okay, playing off the, the Rebel theme, the Boston Tea Party theme, we're going to talk about the most rebellious decision you've seen or made in the real estate industry. So that is that James Dean? 
Yeah, Rebel Without a Cause. I was wondering. I thought that thing showed up at the beginning. I'm like, I think that guy's with us, but I didn't know how he came in. So I guess now I know why. Um, I'll tell you what. There's a lot of things, I think, in the real estate industry since I've been in it, uh, since the Boston Tea Party days, I guess, as Andy would say, that uh, I was part of. And But I think there's some been some uh, real, I don't know if rebellious or, or bold, I, more so. Um, and I think one of those things for me was when the, I mean, the National Realtor Association basically gave up our system to everyone else to be able to post it all over the internet. And uh, in, in doing that, it was, I think it was a really crazy thing at the time because all the realtors were like, hey, that's our thing. That's what we have. And otherwise everyone else will have it and then they won't need us anymore. And in turn, it just kind of really opened things up. Um, Andy might have a different position on that, but it uh, it was a it was kind of a crazy thing in which to do that. Uh, I think the the theory of it, what they're trying to do, and where it's maybe turned it into, are two different things as well. Well, you know, Chris, and I think that there was there's a kind of a everything has its effect, and it's it you know the cause and effect, right? So I understood the um, let's make this open to everybody. You know, and and it shouldn't be so exclusive, and we should be able to buy without having somebody involved. Which decision that that you know um, they made for us, I believe it was forced that we had to make it available to everybody. Um, and then uh, beyond that, though, here's what's interesting: um, I find that now there's so many people that get taken advantage of, and basically they put themselves into these what I call sales windmills, and you know, they, they have 50 people calling them because now the information's out to everybody. Now there's tricky websites. And now there's people misleading people saying, hey, click here and get this. Hey, click here and get that. And now there's not a straight go to the professional source anymore. So in a weird way, they kind of access to a truly professional, one source accredited, um, you know, it, it, that's just my opinion. So like when people are searching for houses, I say, I don't care where, where you shop, but when you're ready to buy, get dialed into the MLS system where we'll put you in there, put you on an MLS search. We know what's available. We know the terms, we know the conditions and there's no, um, and Chris, maybe you can elaborate a little bit like why, for an example, why would a website still show a house for sale when it's not? Why do they do clickbait? I mean, they're just trying to get you to their site and, and, and stay on it and, you, if you do get a lot of those, I mean, I, I'll get clients that send me, you know, Zillow links that say oh, this property is coming up or hey, this one's in foreclosure. And it's just a little deceptive to try to keep you on there. And what Andy's yeah. saying is that our system that we send it from is what these guys all get it from, but then they can manipulate that information or yep. not change it uh, timely. Ours is like well, you get real time when yeah. it changes. Well, I, I even look at like last night, you guys, most of us were aware that in Minnesota, we had some crazy weather, potentially it was pushing through. And I got these pushes on my phone from these news sources saying, click here to get the up-to-date weather. And then you'd click it and you'd sit there watching commercials. And I'm like, if I'm in a tornado alley and now I have to watch a Nike commercial as I'm waiting for the information and my house gets blown away, I mean, come on. At what point do you have pure sources? And then, and, and then you have to ask yourself, now do I have to pay for that? Like, I was looking at like people saying, oh, I want to fast forward commercials. And I joke with my kids and I always say, well, then how do you learn about new products if you fast forward all the commercials? And they, you know, they think that's, I'm an idiot. But, um, but beside the point, I go, you know, if you want to pay to play, then pay and stream and have no commercials. But then you're paying that director, that actor, that whatever directly versus having to pay by ad revenue. Somebody's got to pay somebody for doing the, the service. <laughs> That's, oh boy. He's famous for it. He's, he's good at it. I'm telling you. And these analogies. Playing so. off uh, the tea and how it happened in, in the East Coast, uh, the Boston Tea Party, and it uh, spread throughout uh, the rest of the country, the revolution. Let's talk about how the East Coast and the West Coast affects the Midwest market. And what are we seeing present day? Wow. What what is this? What is this map? The question you? had a lot of commas in it. What what is the uh what was it? 
So how yeah. do the coasts, how do the coasts that are usually ahead of the curve affect our market in the Midwest? Oh. Okay, cool. But what this what is this map um depicting? Is this it's showing the coast, east, south, okay. gulf, west, and shows the coast. Okay. All right, makes sense. I didn't know if that was uh I'm just curious on the the whole tea party thing too because what i remember when i was there like andy said was um you know obviously what happens from the coast in uh the prices are are typically always higher uh on those coasts but we can start we i mean over the years we've watched what's happened in california or, or boston or florida uh eventually seep into uh the midwest and i think sometimes we're insulated a little better from the coast they're a little they're more up and down type thing but uh, we can kind of see uh oh all right something's happening there something's going the wrong way that we can typically we got a year year and a half kind of warning that uh, it's going to start coming to to us now there's some things i think from the pandemic that have changed like uh let's say an idaho i mean an idaho got super super popular from people trying to flee uh, different areas uh, to be able to get out. And all of a sudden those prices just shot up and went crazy. And I don't know what's going to happen in a place like that um, if the market kind of corrects. But I don't know. I mean, do you, you feel that too, Andy? I think that's how we, we're kind of more insulated than what the coasts are. You know, I think it's more intense living on the coast, just like with the weather and whatever. It's beautiful and then it's crazy, right? So it's like the the to um, real estate where you have an ocean and everybody wants to be on the ocean and the demand builds up so high in one spot and it overflows, you know, kind of, you know, through osmosis almost by just being next to it, it's growing, right? That it's, it has, you have all this demand right on the ocean front and then a couple blocks off and then the views of the ocean and then the whatever. So their markets get so intense so fast when the economies are good, um, people will pay crazy money which drives the market up so artificially high that it automatically, I shouldn't say automatically, but generally it's itself. And when it corrects itself, it crashes. It doesn't just go down, it drops in half or whatever it is. And also you go from a $30 million house down to 10. I mean, I've seen these crazy numbers that are out there for these you know, people paying crazy prices. Now, how does it go to the Midwest? You look at like, if you have waves hitting you from one side where that demand goes up as it hits the shore, well, here's the thing. Look at the Midwest and pour water on a table. That's the Midwest. Our demand can grow out in every direction. Gets too expensive on this side, they go to the north. And that's why our markets are more balanced. We have alternative ways to go than just, you know, back, right? So we can actually go out in four directions with growth or we go up. And so a lot of times, um, you know, communities are on the ocean. They only have one direction of growth. And then every sitting there waiting for that growth to get there. And they demand a premium, which, hey, God bless. And, uh, and that, that's where we end up. So, um, that's my thought. I wonder, I wonder too, if this whole working at home is going to change things too, because a lot of the bigger corporations were on the coast and you had to go there to work and then they had to pay you more and then everything just kind of exponentially goes up. But now where we're getting people that are living in Idaho, working on wall street is, um, I think it'll be really quite interesting. I mean, you start looking at a lifestyle. You you look at um, uh, Brazil. I mean, uh, Nick's down in Brazil and kind of running this podcast from there. And, and so you can kind of do your own thing wherever wherever you're at. And I just wonder if that's going to change the landscape of the east and west uh, coasts. I think well, water is always going to be water, and uh, you're not going to – that that's just a value that people are going to pay for. Well, I, I got to say this. I think you better be good at your job. Um, because I think right now when you're going to find somebody that does live in the Midwest, it says, well, I can do that for 30 bucks an hour instead of 90 bucks an hour. And also you're going to, and they, they have access to that same job you do. I think what will happen is the corporations are going to win. It's going to drive their costs down because they don't have to pay everybody as much, you know, because if they don't demand that you have to be on site and you're off site, I, I was saying this the other day, because everybody's like, sitting like a bunch of, you know, hence the tea party. It's like fat cats, like, yeah, I get to work from home and I still make 200 grand a year. I go, the clock's ticking, brother. It's ticking. Be careful because if you're not required to go into an office or you're not in a very specific position, um, I go, they're going to replace you. Why wouldn't they? If you can work 
working from the, you know, the middle of nowhere where they can out of a trailer call in and they're excited to make $11 an hour, you know, why wouldn't they? Yeah. We're, we're seeing it. We're seeing it a lot. Um, that is like uh, the pro and the con of this whole thing is because like my lifestyle got mainstream and all the people saw these opportunities and they're taking advantage of it. But now like the slope is coming where the, the Indian guy in India is willing to work for a 10th of the price and they're doing almost the similar work. And the corporations are definitely seeing it because people like me can negotiate with money in the States and say, Hey, I'll do it for this price because shit, look at my lifestyle, $20 for this. Don't I mean, and it's just going to do like a slippery slope, but hopefully the government steps in or someone helps out and it makes the jobs for the people in the country, but we're going to see. Note to self, call India. We that's why, yeah, Andy, no. that's why Andy's going to live in his little, he's going to build his little house in those little woods behind him. I think that's where he was cutting down trees. And we're never going to. They're all harvested now, Chris. Okay. Playing out the tea party, we're going to talk about income producing property. Think of, uh, think of grapevines, think of gardens, think of land as uh, the tea was very valuable and you could sell it. And America's been built off people uh, harvesting the land and, and utilizing it. So let's talk. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, and I think we, we find this sometimes uh, it's an advantage, sometimes it's a disadvantage, and sometimes it's, a, it's an untapped. Uh, marketing effort as well. So I've got an example of a house that I'm going to, that, that I visited in, it's probably a year, maybe two years out. And on a side note, that happens a lot. We we go visit houses a year, two, four, five years ahead of time when they're thinking of selling. It just depends um, if you can get the message out because from an agent standpoint, the sooner we can get out there, the better it is uh, for the client. And, and we can kind of set them up on, you know what, you should do this, you, you don't have to do this kind of thing. And rather than guessing and what works for the marketplace. But back to this whole income producing thing, I have this property uh, a year, two years out, but they have a bunch of uh, grapevines. And they kind of have fun with their own little thing, you know, and, and, they, and they make the little, the little wine, but it's pretty significant uh, amount of things. And you know, nowadays, it's almost one of those things that you can totally make money off of uh, a, a winery, per se. Now, what you have to look into is you have to look into conditional use permits, uh, what, what the zoning is, what they allow you in which to do. Got another one that uh, there's this guy, we know him, he's from Prior Lake, that is kind of came up with, uh, he did a lot of work over overseas and kind of in, in communities that didn't have much money and they were creating um the, using the earth almost like a geothermal system to be able to do plants uh year-round type thing and bringing it to minnesota and, and creating this organic garden opportunity where people are out there willing to pay a heck of a lot more money in which to do it so they're setting up these farms um to be able to uh, bring them onto these farms to be able to create them and use other people's land, use their vehicle on other people's land in which to be able to make money. So that's another way in which to, if you have 40, 50 acres and you want to be able to do something like that, um, kind of an interesting thing. Well, in turn, that's going to definitely raise the, the value of your house if you sell it to the right person. Now, sometimes those things don't quite work that way. And there's a bunch of grapes uh, on a property and vines and they're all set up perfectly, but you also got to take care of those things. And some people are like, no way, I don't want to do it. I've seen it with apple trees. You have acres and acres of apple trees and people are like, well, what are we going to do with those? It's basically for the deer rather than turning around and, um, you know, selling the apples or there's wineries that use apples to be able to create their wines. So a uh, lot of different things like that that you can do. Andy's shaking his head. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't know what else to say. I, I think that that's awesome. I mean, anytime that you can make an, an investment of yours, give you a return, you're a, a very smart person, right? I mean, think about this. So you you buy things in life to accumulate a bunch of crap. 
if you're not using it to increase your comfort level or increase your, you know, uh, stability or what, why would you even have it? You know what I mean? It's like, so, you know, you look at the old analogy of, you know, you, you buy the duplex, you live in one side, you rent out the other and you get it paid off right away. And now all of a sudden that's an income producing property and you're, you're smart. You're leveraging yourself. And that, that is essentially the, the leverage is probably the most appropriate for income, you know? And I think that's interesting too, Andy, uh, when you're talking about leveraging your property for renters and what you can do in Minneapolis now. I think it, geez, it must have been three, four, five years ago that they were allowing um, additional units that you could rent out on your property. So like on top of your garage or a mm -hmm. garden type suite and um, kind of got away from zoning, which is a, that's a, that's a big thing, especially for maybe a guy well, like a, a Nick that could, that would leave. It, you know, if you're not just leaving your property, you're making money from it when you're gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that was a crazy part. I think there was uh, some people that were really concerned when they had the idea of, you know, hey, so my neighbor can rip down their house and build an apartment. And they're basically like, yeah, you know, there, there's whatever, whatever the market demands or you want to turn your place. Sure. You know, I mean, that was the it's very interesting. I, I was reading some things about how to lower uh property taxes and um, protected land having protected land on your property and you take care of it can like totally eliminate a lot of property taxes is that correct oh yeah there's green acres uh that you can do i mean in green acres what that essentially is is that you have you're a farmer and you're in an area that that land is worth a lot more than just farmland that is, could possibly to be, be developed well the city's losing money on that because this is land that they're just doing as, as farmland. So what they'll do is they'll do what's called green acres. As long as you're using it for farming or um, just you, you're not improving it, you can go into the green acres and your taxes can stay where they're at. But then there's, there's a time that, Hey, here's what they really are. And so then those things will just add up on top. So when you come to sell, because you're not selling it for farmland based on what your taxes are, you're selling it as developable land. So they're going to get their taxes back at that point. And so yeah, things there's things like that. If you're a veteran, you know, and a disabled vet, and if you're hundred percent disabled, you have zero taxes, zero, zero property taxes. I don't think that's the way to go about getting a, a tax relief. And I think they would change that. They would uh, trade that to, to not be uh, disabled, but uh, there, is, there is different ways what to do. You can put your land into the DNR as well. Andy, I don't know if you uh, dealt deal with that at all. Yeah, I've, I've had some clients of mine that have done that where they, they've actually put it into a preservation fund where they get paid money um, where a portion of their land no longer can be farmed. Um, and, and it goes into a like a almost like a DNR protected. Um, it's not public land. It's your private land. Um, but they pay you to not do anything to it basically to let it sit there and, and not move. It's kind of like a CRP program, but it's permanent. And, and it's a one-time upfront payment. They used to do it all the time. And then um, they'll let you hunt it. They let you, you know, sometimes they'll let you take like, you know, hay off of it, but that's about it. And, um, but you can also never take it out of the program. So yeah. you may sell it into there, um, but then it's, it, other than looking See, I, at it, that's all you're going to get to do. I got a comment on that. The last place I was staying at, there was a hostel above it. And the owners of the hostel are fighting the government right now. They've had the property for about 20 years and it's on protected land. And now the government's coming in there and saying, no, we need to really protect this down. We want to take down your, your building. Does that happen where the government can come back years later and say no more? That's why you get an attorney to fight it. We had a situation like that in Prior Lake. And it was about a farm that was really close to town and the public outrage was crazy. And I think that's what you really have to get. Uh, you just got to kind of go back or you got to get an attorney to find it because they can. If they think it's for the greater good of the community, they can certainly um, do what's called eminent domain, take it back. They have to pay you fair value for it and what it is, but it's uh, it's gone. I'm an artist, Mom. You can't rush an artist. I'm doing art, Mom. This is my craft. 
I, I, is that an example? That's a team leader. That must be Andy because he's a team yeah, leader. Yeah, Andy, you gotta make content to stay up to date. I think I, I'd rather be out of date. <laughs> You're still not buying into this stuff, are you? I, no, I don't. I don't understand how me being you know like clever or funny online makes people want to buy or sell houses with me. What do you your, do? On your it? name is in their head. Your name is constantly in their head. Okay. Well, and I, I the other thing is, what are you talking about? You did it on the radio for 10 years and now podcasting from two more. I mean, it's it's who you are. There's nothing you know wrong funny, with that. You know, the people that actually know me know I could, they, they know I could care less if my name was ever out there again. I've always been, that, that's why it was so out of my character to do the radio. I, I'm like, I'm like, the, I'd rather hide behind the scenes and let somebody else be the the, the go-to. And, and I'm uh, behind the scenes, you know, helping orchestrate things. And I still like to do it. I just don't. I, when I was a little kid and they would sing happy birthday to me, I would literally start crying and crawl under the table because I hated the attention. No joke. I would. I'm the bad guy. And I wanted to make sure bitches knew that the bad guy was here. Hey, in Prior Lake, we had an ordinance that you couldn't have more than one open house sign on a corner. And then you, you can only have them up at certain times uh, because there, it was getting ridiculous where people would put five open houses on every corner. And that's it's just yeah. a form of advertising is what it is. It's your, your billboard. For sure. And, and they put them up on Friday and then to take them down till Sunday night. And, and we still see that. Uh, builders got that for uh, every weekend. They get their yeah. signs. They have sign companies go up and they plop them up everywhere and uh, – and that it was just kind of a serious problem. And I remember our signs started getting taken away. Then they'd store them at a place. We'd have to go get them. And they eventually they curbed it. Now they're not doing it anymore. So people are cheating again. Right. No, I biggest sign. In, oh, go ahead. Biggest sign of a real estate market crash is coming. And the only reason why it hasn't happened yet, because of the non-stop stimulus money, the quantitative easing and low interest rates. But we're running out of money and that's all about to change. South Korea just announced that they're hiking interest rates. And if you're wondering why this is a big deal, this is the first developed country to do so and USA is likely to follow suit. Tomorrow we hear from the most powerful man in the world. This is the most anticipated speech Jerome Powell has ever given. Tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific, I'll be giving an update on what he says. What do you think he's gonna say and give a follow for tomorrow's update and they did they're talking about raising rates yeah so that i was just gonna say when was that posted the day before they announced that's interesting you know i i've heard you talk about that too andy and i think you follow that stuff a heck of a lot more uh close than i do but um watching trends and and seeing what's what's happening and coming up, but that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought the first developed country that did it, that would just kind of be a, and South Korea leading the way. It just seems weird to me. Yeah, but let me let me put it this way. It's not like we have everybody buying houses right now and it's, oh, we don't have enough houses to keep up with all the buyers out there. We have a shortage of inventory. We've been in a weird housing market for two years. We, we don't have inventory. Now, so you say rates going up is going to change that? I don't know if it will that much because it's not like people are going to make buying decisions and say, okay, now I'm not going to buy, okay? Or, hey, uh, we're going to have a foreclosure crisis. If nobody's selling their houses or wants to get rid of their houses, hence the shortage, how are you going to have a foreclosure crisis, ladies and gentlemen? When you have 40% of the houses that are owned for free and clear and you have a majority of the people buying houses right now putting 20 to 50% down, they're not going to lose that house. And might be on the edge of having trouble, have equity. In the last year, we made 12% equity. Do the math on your own house. You live in a $300,000 house, you got a lot of equity. You know what I'm saying? So you sit there and you go, I made 40 grand in one year for sitting back and owning a house. Most people either won't sell that house or if they sell that house, they're going to make a very nice windfall of money. So when you say foreclosure crisis, housing crisis, housing crisis doesn't mean failure. We may have a house, we already have a housing crisis. We have a shortage of houses. Or we have a, a, a demand issue, you know, we have demand and not on supply. But when it comes right down to it, these, these, remember, after he gives you all that, he, he throws up on you, all that information, then he goes, give me a like, right? It's all self. It's all about themselves. It's follow me, follow me, click this, follow us. 
<laughs> as as we just put, give us a thumbs up. Um, are you frozen, Chris? Oh, I'm not talking. I was gonna say you seem very un unimpressed. So, what do you do for a living? My best, Tom. I do my best. Okay, that's what I do. <laughs> do that again. I got caught. So, what do you do for a living? My best, my best Tom. Tom. I do my, I best, do my best, okay? best. Okay, that's what I do. That's what I do. It was the life was of a That's funny. Yeah, it was. A, it was a bro. My bad. No, just to say that it's it's funny because that is kind of a life of a realtor if you're trying to do everything on your own, um, and that's why I, you know, and that's just a, I mean, it's kind of showing you, you know, carrying signs, taking pictures, doing all that. But I think a bigger thing is, and what I figured out probably about seven years ago, was that you can't do all of those good, you know. So you need to hire a professional photographer. You got to get a sign company out there. So. So you do what you do good. I mean, mine is marketing, negotiating, and networking and talking. Uh, and I think those are very important things to be able to get the most money you can for the property. But if you want me to take photos and make sure brochures are there and um, all of the other stuff that goes into real estate, it's just taking away from the things that you actually do good. So trying to find good people and do other thing. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key to success in real estate is that the good agents that are out there that have made, uh, you know, their business into something bigger than themselves is they, they realize what they're good at. They stick with that. And then they start learning how to delegate. Right. So it's they delegate, they delegate, they delegate and they, they find somebody to do their accounting. They find somebody to do their photographs and you do it in a, in a, in a slower pace where you can afford. But remember, you're not doing it to make your life easier. You're doing it to give yourself more time to do the things you're good at. So as long as you focus on as a real estate agent, what you're good at, and then you find other people to help you with what you're not good at, you can make it in this business. But I'll tell you what, it, it's a, uh, this business, um, there's a lot of big teams now that are saying, hey, we'll do the advertising, we'll let, generate the leads, we'll help you with everything. All you need to do is go out there and close. So now you become basically a timeshare salesman sitting down with somebody trying to sell them a timeshare. They get the people there, they want the free toaster, they're doing the whatever, and your job is to close them. And so that's an, that's not, in my opinion, real estate. If you want to be in real estate or you look at like a dentist, you know, the dentist doesn't check you in. The dentist doesn't clean your teeth. The dentist doesn't whatever. They come in and do what the dentist does, right? Look for cavities. How do I prevent this? Give you some advice on what to do. And if, if you need any work done, they tell you what they can do to make you feel better, right? I think every industry has to take that kind of a business model to be truly a professional. Otherwise, you're kind of a, a jack of all trades, master of none. And you end up being that busy guy that's only selling three houses a year, but you're so busy you don't know what to do with yourself. Was she running people over? <laughs> she ran them over. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Oh. Uh. But it is, it's, it's playing, it's a parody off of what realtors are doing. And, and it is funny. All of a sudden you're driving and you're coming to that house and you see someone leaving it and you're just like, what, what's wrong with them? You're trying to find out every little angle to them. Their, their agent looks dumb. We're going to be, we're, we're going to beat them. You know, it's, it is fun. Price went up. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Yesterday's price. It's not today's price. Price went up. <laughs> yep. And some people, some people need that uh, two or three times to lose to be able to figure out that game. But there, there is other times that these properties uh, aren't selling for full price. I mean, it's actually yeah. happening uh, nowadays. And I, I think I would never discourage someone from uh, writing an offer, but I'll never not tell them what I think. Ultimately, it's their decision. I'll give the information to do it. We do it every day. We know kind of what's happening. We know if the value's there, if it's not there, and then it's up to them what they want to do with it. But um, it sometimes does get frustrating when you know exactly what you need to do and they don't do it and then they lose. Hey, Andy, um, we're stuck in... Uh... 
a new build. Okay, stuck in a new build contract and want to purchase a home that just came on the market. What do you do? Ooh, um, well, I'm assuming they've made deposits. I'm assuming that they have, um, you know, a situation where they probably do not have refundable earnest money. The decision, um, you know, can you, uh, are you okay with losing what you've deposited? And is it a good enough of a deal to go after the new one to where it's worth your time? Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of builders that wouldn't actually, I, I mean, this, not if you're building with me, don't, don't repeat this. I mean, there's a lot of builders that if you walked away from your 5% down, probably wouldn't care if you showed up at closing anyway, because there's a line of people that would buy that house anyway. So they would, you know, you could probably even negotiate your way out of it in some way, shape or form. But the idea there is that if you want to tie up the new property that came available, um, what do you what do you do to secure the new property? Because technically you probably don't apply or you don't qualify for both. Um yeah, and in our contracts, cancellation. Yeah, in our contracts, it it states, uh, let's just say you're trying to buy that new house, but you got to get rid of the other one. That it is subject to the cancellation of another purchase agreement. Uh, and if you have a realtor writing it and they're not writing that, they could be in serious trouble ethically and uh, through our association uh, for sure. But you know, I think people what they need to realize is that they're in a they're in a contract. And there's consequences for that, and and to be able to get out of it, um, sometimes that's going to cost you money. And sometimes the builders, I mean, if you're in a contract and it's done, uh, they can. It's it states in our contract that we both have the right to be able to uh, seek remedies to be able to make you close on that property. Obviously, you can unqualify yourself by not qualifying, um, losing your job or quitting your job, but. Um, that's because that's typically always a thing, but with new construction, there's typically not earnest money. It's usually a deposit and that deposit is going towards the, the materials and that stays with the house and you don't get it back. Correct. That, that's what I was going to repeat. And then the other way, you know, um, if you think about this, Chris, a lot of the bigger custom homes will do what they financing by the buyer. So the buyer actually has a loan already out. Um, and they're the builders taking draws against that um, loan, and so um, or they're taking draws against that amount. So you, you, if you're into that kind of situation, then you own that house. You might as well close on it, go all the way through, perform, get it done, and then resell it um, because you're you're not gonna you can't get out of it. You already own the property, you own the you own the lot, you own the uh, the house itself, and so. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing. That whole that whole new construction stuff is a. Uh tricky little guy that uh, it's, it's different than buying just your own house or, or a existing house, existing residential house. There's just a lot more to it. All right. Here we go. We're going to do a little uh, game time. So buy, flip, dump, million dollar home edition. Um, I know uh, Andy is probably going to be me and you. Chris is at the at the goal in a couple of minutes, but let's uh let's start it off. So what do we got here? Well, I'll tell you what, we're kind of uh, obviously in in kind of the city, uh, million over a million dollar homes that have all uh, expired and uh, or canceled for some reason. And uh, hey, Andy, can you can you uh, the second one there? Can you say what that address is for me, please? Uh, it's, uh, three, two, four, seven East Calhoun Parkway. <laughs> That's what I would have said. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, I think it translates to Calhoun. I'm pretty sure. I don't, they I, must I, I, I say that, I say that jokingly. I know there I was know. reasons why they took that name, but here's the deal. Why don't we call it Minneapolis pond or I don't know. I mean, why did they give it such a challenging Bead Maka Ska Ska. Oh, I know. Bottom of Sky. Bottom of Sky. Yeah, that's what it is. So, um, so, but obviously that one's by the lakes. The lakes are very uh, impressive uh, area to, to be on uh, and close. There's, uh, it just kind of depends, you know, how they, they look inside. 
Now I'm looking at just just like looking at this picture alone, and you and you see it says one out of eleven. There's only eleven photos on that one, and so that immediately tells me, immediately tells me that that house probably needs some work without even going into it, because they just didn't take a lot of those photos. Um, the one underneath, and I know, and I have to go, and I apologize. I have to. I got to be at a meeting trying to. Uh, it's a long story. But um, this whole contemporary one on the bottom, Andy, I don't know what you think of those, but I absolutely love that, uh, th those styles now. And I never used to, but I, I think of this one too, uh, inside, just the, the, the feel of it. It's, it's warm, yet it's not, uh, it's not super contemporary, but it's warm. And I'm actually going to be doing a flip that kind of plays off of the same uh, theme, kind of clean lines. And uh, I don't, you guys, I mean, it's expensive in which to do though, to build this, isn't it? Absolutely. When you, you get into, uh, or you get into contemporary construction, well, you have to be able to explain it um, to the consumer and to the builders and to the, you know, and so there's a lot more handholding. So generally builders will charge a higher margin when they build a contemporary house and they build a traditional house because they have to, they know that they're going to be babysitting that project the whole way through making sure the boards are lined up correctly and that there's you know the uh the for example like the the fireplaces as you see them there you're going to have the uh they want the the uh and the tiles the seams to be a certain way not just you know cut at the corner they want them to be maybe a certain angle and so those little details that make a house contemporary that feels good to the contemporary um you know those are details that you have to baby step all the way through and um bigger windows more money you know, things like that. I, a Andrew, what do you want to do uh, going through this? You well, through... you know, with the, with the buy, flip, or dump, um, you know, we can, why don't we real quickly run through the pictures. Um, I like, I like um, all of those areas are kind of hovering around the Minneapolis area there. So, um, you know, it, uh, yeah. Let's run through them. Okay. Yeah, let's do that real quick. I know there's 53 photos here, but this looks like a nice place. Hold on one second. What I always tell everybody too, is when you're looking at houses like this and you look at it from afar and you say, okay, oh, wow, look at that floor plan, big house. Um, you know, what is, why is it a million dollar plus house? And I don't care what anybody says, all these other houses are going up in value, but million dollar homes, and, and there you have all oak. That's probably part of their problem right there. Even though oak is great, um, it, it just, it, it screams 90s and it screams entry level. Um, that's what, that's what we put in all of our entry-level homes back in the day. Hemlock doors. Um, you don't keep flipping through there. You can keep rifling through on pretty quick. Um, okay. I've seen enough on that one. So that one needs, in my opinion, a quick little, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 um, update. Over in St. Louis Park, which is a very high-demand area. But you look at, like, 4,800 finished square feet for a million one. And it needs to be updated. I think they're probably a little high. Um, obviously, that's why I probably didn't sell. Um, okay, number two over on uh, the old the old Calhoun, as they say, looks like a neat old Victorian home. Um, geez, look at that. Chris was guessing it was in need of repair. Um, I would have definitely staged my pictures differently. It looks very chaotic and busy. Lots of stuff on the countertops and. You know, but look at that detail, man. See, I'd be focusing on all those built-ins, the ceilings. Um, the photography could have been um, done differently to really accent. what The charm that pulls somebody into a Victorian-style house, accent that completely. And so that would be the my focus. Look at those casings around the doorways. Um, I mean, what a stunningly beautiful interior. Floors need to be done. Big radiant heater. Look at that. That's cool. Old radiator, yeah. Cool staircase, wow. Very cool. Couple deer heads. Uh, okay, so you know, just a nice old, cool old home. Um, wondering if it's on a busy, obviously busy road there, being right on Calhoun or uh, Makata Sky. Yep. That was very European. I like that. And then the uh, yeah, it had a lot of character. Colored glass. 
Yeah, okay, beautiful. and then the last one here, Golden Valley, was the contemporary one, right? Yeah. Kind of, you can flick quick through those. Um, this one here. I like it. You know, and keep in perspective, contemporary construction, like you take a kitchen like that and a, a normal kitchen, let's say it's $30,000, a contemporary kitchen with what they call full overlay cabinets with European style hinges. I mean, my gosh, you could all of a sudden get in 70000 just for the kitchen, um, you know, and, th and that's where, you know, and then you got your, your, your farm sinks there. That's kind of cool too. Nice poles, nice everything. Nice looking house. Just probably the wrong neighborhood. They probably overbuilt a little bit for the neighborhood they're in. Um, doesn't mean that the house isn't sellable. Probably complete. Well, look at the houses around them look nice. Huh. Looks good. Yeah, probably just the cost of construction was high, which kept their resale high. And then they looked like they're in a nice neighborhood. Uh, maybe they didn't get time on market. Um, sometimes it takes a little more time on market. Um, yeah, look at that. it looks fantastic. See the features in that house, Nick, I don't know if you agree or not, but um, you look at these features and these full like windows here, for example, that's really cool. I mean, that, that is a, a, a unique feature, you know, where they're top to bottom floor to ceiling. That's very rare. Those are all tempered, you know, awesome, crazy expensive windows. Yeah. I, I think it's more of a style thing. They just maybe for the neighborhood and the style of the house, they just couldn't get it, but boy, that's a cool house. I, I just really feel more at home in that Victorian, like there's more life to it. You know what I mean? These contemporary is just kind of like, it doesn't feel homey as the, they're, the Victorian they're clean, style. Right? They're cold and clean. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I like, I, I mean, I like, I actually um, surprisingly like, um, so I'm probably with you. You know, I think the one would be the St. Louis Park property. It needed too many updates. Um, you know, the one on the very top there um, is the one that I would dump. Um, the, uh, the, the flip would probably be the one on Calhoun. I think you could buy that and put something into it and flip it and, you know, really take advantage of the character and bring people into that era of when that house was celebrated and designed to be in and, and, you know, maybe do a little better job of the staging and the, um, the photos, um, you know, get some exterior photos where, I mean, if you're literally on the lake, I mean, you need to show that I'd have some done where they're showing some of the the aerial shots of, of the lake and all the people having fun and selling the lifestyle, as Chris would say, I think you could flip that house. And then the, um, the, uh, the buy, I'd probably, yeah, probably golden Valley to buy it and hold it. I just like, I like it, but I think it's a little expensive, but that that's what comes with that, you know, style of home. I'm shocked. I just said that. I didn't think I, you'd ever hear me saying a contemporary house is the one I would like. So Chris's I like is on uh, the old Calhoun too. Um, I like that as well. And uh, Chris's, uh, yeah. Chris's was the contemporary he would buy. Yep. Um, the Calhoun he would flip, and then the the top one he would uh, dump. Yeah, so, so we were right on the same. same thing. Yep, same same. Cool. Yeah, so you know the um, one of the um, you know when it comes down to properties, though, you look at it, we different perspectives you know what is the cost what does the neighborhood allow because there's always the exit strategy of you know when you buy a property do you want to get out of the sale are we in a neighborhood or are we in a position of where we can actually make that happen and you know when we put our customers into a situation like that or let's say that they decide to buy that 1.2 million dollar house they pay cash and they overpay and and you've you know coach them on hey you're buying in an area where the average sale price is eight hundred thousand you're paying 1.2 million, you're in a position where you may never get your money back. And some people simply don't care. And in that situation, that, that may be a good purchase for them. On the other hand, the people that are like, hey, I'm only gonna live here for two years, you need to probably downsize your, you know, your, uh, your ambitions and, and get into something that's a little more comfortable for what your plan is, which is to stay liquid, stay fluid, be able to get in and out of that marketplace and not and, and make money, if not anything else, you know, hopefully not lose any money and um, get in and out. So it, different strategies, you know, different, different strokes for different folks, as they say. Hey, Andy, just one more thing about, oh, one more thing about uh, withholding money from con a contractor. We got this question. This okay. guy uh, hired a contractor to replace a roof. 
uh, in the process. It wasn't properly done. And when it rained, the roof collapsed. It claimed with insurance. The same contractor is now trying to fix it and getting paid through the insurance. But um, the tenants hired a lawyer and requested their money back. So I guess they were paying for it too. And now the uh, contractor is not finishing the job. So overall, the question is, withholding money from a contractor, what is the story with that? Well, you know, kind of going through that, you got you got to be a little careful because they have the lien rights to the property if they're performing the work. Um, there's also usually require uh, usually a significant deposit up front. 50% is usually very normal. Um, and then they want another 25% when they start the work and then 25 when they're done. And that's so that they don't have to finance um, the build or the, the contractors that need to get paid as they go. So what you're doing is you're basically essentially you know, giving them the money to buy the materials, you're giving them the money to, buy the, the, to pay for the labor. Um, if they're not completing the work, that's where it gets into a real pickle. And that's where you see the expose on, you know, the nightly news where they say, hey, we gave this, you know, uh, contractor $50,000 to do our model, and they never even showed up at the house. They took the money and ran. So what's interesting to me is like, I've also had other people that are concerned about contractors where they say, well, let us write out the check to the lumberyard to buy the materials and let us make deposits. Um, and as you know, we go through this process, um, we'll put an escrow account over here, like almost like they do when they do a new build and you can pull off that as you need it. So it's, um, they order the bathroom, they can pull. And so it's like a construction loan. So you don't have to do such a big deposit with somebody necessarily. Um, there are ways creative. And if the contractor is a legitimate contractor, they may be open to hearing what you have to say have a title company, do an escrow account, you know, pull it as you need it or pull it as, you know, as the work is being done um, with without restriction. So meaning that they frame it, they pull 30,000 out of there for the framing. You don't really have control. As long as that framing is done, they can show the title company it's done. You can't stop the payment per se, but then you're not getting burned on the full hundred grand. You might only be getting burned on 70 or what, you know what I mean? There's other smart ways you can get by. I assume the best thing is the, to know who you're doing business with at the start, you know, read the reviews and make sure they're legit contractors. Yep. Yep. I think that the, you know, the, just cause they're available doesn't mean they're the best. Um, usually it's the opposite. Um, you know, especially in a busy market, sometimes it's, it's worth waiting that extra two, three, four, six months, um, to get that contractor that has a reputation, um, that does the follow-up, does the great service, um, uses the best materials, best contractors. Um, you know, cause most contractors, Honestly, they don't carry a tool belt. They, they sit behind a computer and they're orchestrating, coordinating. They're, they're trying to, you know, do the, the spreadsheet to make sure the job will make profit. And, you know, what I'm saying they're shopping different contractors so that they as a general can make money too. And so that that's uh, most builders nowadays are in that or, or they're multi-layered where they're big enough to where they have an internal staff. And, um, but that, anyway. Amazing. Awesome. Well, next week will be the day before Christmas Eve. It's exciting. We got that fundraiser uh, going yeah. up in the air. We'll put the link again on the Facebook if you want to keep donating to it. I think it's a great cause. Yes. Make sure to... You uh, drawing, Nick. Don't let me go without doing my drawing. Oh, you got a drawing? Yeah. So we had a client event last last weekend, um, and we actually did a contest where the draw, whoever I pull out of this basket is... $500 and we put all the people that followed the rules of the contest into the basket and uh, you let me know when you're ready for me to draw. You like how I have the holiday theme basket? Okay, it's above my head, right? Clean hands, no way to know what's in here. Here we go, out of the basket, up to the camera. What does it say? Jamie Smith, Smith, congratulations. You just won $500. Woo Way to go, Jamie. That's awesome. Some great clients of mine. I, uh, I'm uh, very excited for her. She, uh, you know, the kids and the, um, she's a great, she referred me this year out to another client as well. So what a nice way to end the season. Thank you for the referral, by the way, um, her brother. And that was a real nice, nice way to say thank you to me too. So Jamie Smith, our $500 winner. Woo. So. All right. Awesome. 
Congrats, Jamie. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, give us the likes, the hearts. We post three clips a week on Facebook, easy digestible content. Share with a friend and have a wonderful holiday season. See you later, Andy. All right, see ya. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.